Bigfoot vandalizes a Winnebago and other questionable claims. A Pennsylvania man who accused Bigfoot of vandalizing his 1973 Winnebago in late 2014 is just one of a long history of people who have blamed the hairy humanoid for attacking personal property and dwellings. John Reed, a Bigfoot enthusiast, claims that during a camping trip, he and his girlfriend saw a tall, dark, hairy figure walk past their camper window at night. According to one of the news stories, Reed said that Bigfoot threw rocks at the mobile home's outside lights in order to escape discovery. This explanation doesn't make sense. If the Bigfoot didn't want to be noticed, it presumably wouldn't have walked right past the Winnebago's window with two people inside, nor throw rocks to the camper. The creature could simply have avoided the campsite or kept walking into the darkness if it did not want to be detected, instead of standing and throwing rocks at an exterior light. Perhaps the strangest part of the story is that Reed, who founded a Bigfoot hunting group and claims to have seen it twice before, did not photograph the creature. As odd as this story seems, Reed is not the first to claim the fine traces and evidence of what they assume must have been a Bigfoot-type creature, though not clearly seeing or photographing it at the time. The logic goes like this. I don't know what else it might have been, so it must have been a Bigfoot. It is well known that wild animals attack vehicles such as cars and RVs, especially if they can smell food inside. And many animals, including bears and raccoons, can be very clever and persistent in trying to get into vehicles and other containers. Trash cans in national parks have specifically designed latching mechanisms to thwart feral intruders. Some researchers claim there are even more hidden messages found in da Vinci's work. Furthermore, there is likely an extraterrestrial influence behind it. It goes without saying that Leonardo da Vinci was ahead of his time. The volume of everything that he has put out in the past that, that he came up with, that he drafted, that he painted, that he sketched, makes it difficult to fully explore in a lifetime. His notebooks and manuscripts remain, however, and contain everything from construction plans for tanks and helicopters to wild inventions that have come into reality centuries later. His impact is so profound that his Salvatore Mundi was bought by a Saudi prince for a new museum in Abu Dhabi for $400 million during his life. Da Vinci was scrutinized by the Roman Catholic Church because of an appearance of wide-ranging philosophical tastes. Consequently, he had to hide information in his paintings to avoid being labeled a heretic. Between the years 1476 and 1478, Da Vinci disappeared from records. His life did not otherwise have gaps in terms of coverage. Just before this time, however, he had an interesting experience. One of the autobiographical anecdotes for, from his journal tells the story of being drawn to a cave while hiking. He was pulled in by the desire to experience the wonder inside. Some of the ancient astronaut theorists suggest that his experience inside the cave permitted him to see the future, and it is likely related to interactions with aliens. Using a technique called thermographics, da Vinci's adoration of the Magi 
was analyzed in 2002 in Florence, Italy. An underdrawing was discovered inside the painting of the three wise men visiting the infant Jesus. The analysis, however, showed much more than what is visible to the naked eye. As it turns out, there were layers of paint, some additions, and there were not painted by the original artist. One such detail painted over was a pagan temple, which would have been a problem at the time with the prevailing church. In fact, one of the background drawings is a temple with the lotus flower, which is the flower of life. Some of the ancient astronaut theorists contend da Vinci was obsessed with lotus flowers, which may indicate his connection to potential alien contacts. The Last Supper has been fully explored ad nauseum, but a quick summary is in order. The painting depicts the moment when Jesus told his disciples on who would betray him, and they were all frozen in action. The figure of Jesus' right is assumed to be the Apostle John, but many think it's Mary Magdalene because of the feminine features. Furthermore, the downward-pointing face and angle corresponds with da Vinci's belief that women should be depicted in such a manner. Finally, the mirror image, clothing, and pose, which together form a capital M, indicate Mary Magdalene. So why was she placed in the painting? And where is the chalice, commonly known as the Holy Grail? According to the Ancient Aliens crew, the two items are related, and it all comes down to a representation of Mary Magdalene's pregnancy, Jesus' divine children, which eventually leads to da Vinci somehow, according to the book of Judas that was taken out of the Gnostic Gospels, or in one way, shape, or form not at all connected to the Gnostic Gospels, and the Gnostics, along with the Apocrypha, which are of the original Hebrew to Christian translation of the original written word. Roswell, UFOs, flying saucers, alien abduction, are we alone? Information regarding this and many other questions about the unknown are only a click away at www.theufostore.com. Theufostore.com offers hundreds of DVDs about UFOs, aliens, crop circles, conspiracies, Bigfoot, suppressed science, ancient mysteries. Log on to www.theufostore.com and request a free UFO store catalog. Theufostore.com, the largest selection of UFO products on the internet. Zombies, asteroids, and scholarship, Nostradamus predicted 2021. The French nobleman of Jewish origin was famous in his lifetime. His unique predictions, which some say were written with divine help, capture our imagination even today. Astrologer, medical doctor of Jewish origin, and Renaissance mathematician, Nostradamus is perhaps the most quoted Frenchman in history. In his prophecies, first published in 1555, the famous stargazer claimed to see as far ahead as the year 3797, when the world will end. His followers argue that he was able to correctly warn humanity of various evils and troubles, from the rise of Hitler to power, a man many dedicated readers believe to the mysterious hister of whom the prophet wrote to the novel Coronavirus of our own times. The astrologer, some argue, spoke about a plague that will arrive in the form of a queen, Corona, from the east, China. A reading shaped by the crown-like structure of the virus 
which is the source of the name coronavirus. Skeptics point to Hister being the Latin name for Danube River and the word being that of a location, not a person. The prophecy concerning COVID-19 does not exist in the original collection, India Today reported in July, and seems to be an internet hoax which attempted to spread via social media using the famous historical figure. As for the year ahead, a Russian scientist will create a biological weapon that will turn people into zombies, Dublin Live reported last Saturday, based on a prophecy warning of the half-dead to give a start. Dead through spite, the text seems to suggest he, the Russian scientist, will cause the others to shine, and in an exalted place, some great evils to occur. In the sky, the report quotes, one sees fire and a long trail of sparks, meaning that it is possible the mystic was attempting to warn humanity of a possible asteroid which might hit the Earth. Maybe he was referring to 410777, 2009 FD, a real asteroid discovered in 2009, once classified as a potentially hazardous one that could hit our own world. NASA, however, removed it from the threat list last month. The portal, Wise Horoscope claims, Nostradamus saw a glimpse of what AI could be when he wrote The New Sage with a lone brain cell sees it. By his disciples, the prophecy continues, invited to be immortal, perhaps meaning that robots will become more and more visible in the year to come. There are three major issues with the works of the famous French mystic. First, he wrote in the French of his own day and age. His translates uh, to English or other language had to therefore be extremely knowledgeable and precise in their work. Lack of knowledge could mean a thoughtfully translation, a faulty one, which is vital in the prediction. The second issue is that, sadly, translators were very often fans of the prophecies themselves and could have leaned towards pointing to alleged cases where their translation happens to match something which already happened. For example, modern scholars found that the death of King Henry II began to be included in the work 55 years after it had already happened. Peter Lemazur wrote in 2003 his biography of the astrologer. The third is that the language of the prophecies is poetic and vague, meaning that, again, after an event had already happened, it is quite easy to find evidence of it in the text, even if the text is partly the invention of a later translator and commentator and has little to do with the original French work. However, as New York University professor Stéphane Garson wrote in his 2012 biography of the seer, there is a machine at work when the matter of Nostradamus, one of the few men of his time to be remembered and read today, his genius inspires us to think about the future and the stars in the heavens and shiver a little. As now playing one of the biggest podcasts of the week on the free iHeartRadio app. Now number one for podcasting. Atlantis, aliens, and time warps, the enduring mystery of the Bermuda Triangle. Now, rogue waves could be responsible for some of the region's most notorious vanishings, but that won't stop rumors about Atlantis with aliens and time warps. The Bermuda Triangle is one of the most feared regions on the globe. 
thanks to wild rumors about it, all the ill-fated vessels that have entered it, never to be seen again. The fate of these ships and planes are often pinned on supernatural events that exist within, quote-unquote, the Devil's Triangle, which is normally defined as roughly 500,000 square miles of ocean between the verticals of Miami, Puerto Rico, and Bermuda. Scientists have debunked the notion that these waters are particularly bloodthirsty, repeatedly pointing out that it's really not that weird for vehicles to go missing in one of the stormiest and busiest regions of the ocean, where hazardous shallows and reefs happen to be common. According to the U.S. Coast Guard and U.S. Navy, the Triangle does not claim an unusual amount of lives compared with other volatile, heavily trafficked areas. The real mystery of the Bermuda Triangle, Bermuda Triangle has much more to do with the persistence and longevity of popular conspiracy theories surrounding it. People project their worst nightmares and wildest fantasies onto this patch of ocean, crediting its disappearances to aliens, UFO abductions, time portals, the lost civilization of Atlantis, and countless other paranormal causes. Even in 2018, this narrative tradition is still going very strong. It is now 2021, and director Sam Raimi is currently working on a Bermuda Triangle film that will feature sharks, Vikings, and Nazis, according to Screen Rant. To be fair to the truthers, their far-fetched explanations are rooted in reality, at least insofar as there are real vessels that really went missing in the Bermuda Triangle. Scrolling through the number of deadly incidents within the region does not tend to raise one's hackles. Ships and their crews vanished without a trace in the Triangle throughout the 1800s, and others were found mysteriously abandoned, like the tall mast ship Rosalie, which was recovered in 1840. The only crew member that remained on board was a canary, but it did not relate its experiences, unfortunately. The disappearance of the USS Cyclops in 1918, along with its 306 crew members and passengers, marked the largest loss of life in U.S. naval history, not related to combat. Understandably, it added significant weight to concerns about the region. But it wasn't until a series of tragedies occurring in the 1940s that the general American tradition of maritime ghost stories found a resonant focal point in the Bermuda Triangle. In addition to the loss of the two Cyclops sister ships, the USS Neuros and the USS Protus, within the region, the 1940s were punctuated by a series of high-profile airplane disappearances in the area, UFO interactions, and strange storm swells. The vanishing of Flight 19 in 1945 was made especially famous when an amphibious rescue plane sent to search for the wreckage also disappeared without a trace. In 1950, Miami reporter Edward Van Winkle Jones outlined some of the region's incidents. In an Associated Press article, another writer, George X. Sand, picked up his thread in 1952 in an editorial called The Sea Mystery at Our Back Door in Fate Magazine, in which he laid out the geographic dimensions of the triangle. That same year, reporter Alan Eckert covered various plane disappearances, including Flight 19 for American Legion. He added the extraterrestrial dimension that would become central 
to its current incarnation by circulating a rumor that the planes, missing planes flew off to Mars. But the true, the truth of the region's modern mythos was author Vincent Gaddis, who coined and popularized the term Bermuda Triangle in a 1964 article titled The Deadly Bermuda Triangle. Gaddis had a knack for peddling pseudoscience in addition to his founding role in mytho the mythology of the triangle. He also pumped up urban legends about spontaneous combustion. A conspiratorial power keg had been lit despite the best efforts of scientists and skeptics to extinguish it with facts during the past five decades. It still burns bright and hot today. If anything, given the resurgence of the pseudoscience in the online age, we might expect even wilder manifestations of Bermuda Triangle lore to surface from the deepest, weirdest corners of the internet. Just a couple of years ago, rumors were circulating about an alien spaceship discovered on the Triangle seafloor, for instance. So, uh, no matter how many people blame the region's disappearances on everything from time-warped Nazis to Chikulu, the Bermuda Triangle is not a geographical boogeyman. It's a truly scary place, but for the pedestrian reason that its topography is treacherous, its storms are severe, and it's packed with vehicles servicing some of the busiest ports in America. Hey guys, good news. The outrageously expensive little blue pill is now generic, which means you can get the prescription medication to treat ED at affordable prices. And Hems makes it extra affordable. You pay just 30 bucks for a month's supply. And right now, get your first online doctor's visit totally free when you go to 4 slash good. That's right, free, zero copay, no expensive appointments, no awkward face-to-face -face conversations to get your prescription. Hims connects you to doctors online who can evaluate you and, if appropriate, prescribe your ED medication. And a pharmacy sends it right to your door. Hims makes it affordable, private, and incredibly easy. Nobody likes dealing with ED. Now, thanks to Hims, nobody has to. And that's really good news. To start your free online visit, you need to go to this exclusive address, 4 slash good. That's 4 slash good for your free online visit. F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash good. Family is big around here. We're family-owned, family-operated, family-managed. And that means legacy. That means dependability. That means using Granger. With over 1.5 million products and knowledgeable product experts, Granger has whatever we need. And with same day pickup and next day delivery options, they have it whenever we need it. For over 90 years, businesses like ours have trusted Granger. Because, like family, Granger's got our back. Call, clickgranger.com, or stop by to see for yourself. Granger, for the ones who get it done. <laughs> On April 10th, 1953, Alan Dules, the newly appointed director of the CIA, delivered a speech to a gathering of Princeton alumni. Though the event was mundane, global tensions were running high. The Korean War was coming to an end, and earlier that week, the New York Times had published a startling story asserting that American POWs returning from the country may have been converted by communist brainwashers. Some GIs were confessing to war crimes like carrying out germ warfare against the communists, a charge the U.S. categorically denied. Others were reportedly so brainwashed that they had refused to return to the United States at all. As if that weren't enough, the U.S. was weeks away from secretly sponsoring the overthrow of a democratically elected leader in Iran. 
Dules had just become the first civilian director of an agency growing more powerful by the day. And the speech provided an earlier glimpse into his priorities for the CIA. In the past few years, we have become accustomed to hearing much about the battle from men's minds, the war of ideologies, he told the attendees. I wonder, however, whether we clearly perceive the magnitude of the problem, whether we realize how sinister the battle for men's minds has become in Soviet hands, he continued. We might call it, in its new form, brain warfare. Duels proceeded to describe the Soviet brain perversion techniques as effective but abhorrent and nefarious. He gestured to the American POWs returning from Korea shells of men that they once were, parroting the communist propaganda they had heard cycled for weeks on end. He expressed fears and uncertainty. Were they using chemical agents? Hypnosis? Something else entirely? We in the West, the CIA director conceded, are somewhat handicapped in brain warfare. This sort of non-consensual experiment even on one's enemies, was anti-theatical to American values. Duels insisted, as well as anti-theatical to what should be human values. Fear of brainwashing and a new breed of brain warfare terrified and fascinated the American public throughout the 1950s, spurred both by the words of the CIA and the stories of brainwashed GIs returning from China, Korea, and the Soviet Union. Newspaper headlines like New Evils Seen in Brainwashing and Brainwashing versus Western Psychiatry offered sensational accounts of new mind control techniques and technologies that no man could fully resist. The paranoia began to drift into American culture with books like The Manchurian Candidate and The Naked Lunch playing on themes of unhinged science and scientists and the vast political conspiracies. The idea of brainwashing also provided many Americans with a compelling, almost comforting explanation for communism's swift rise, that Soviets used the tools of brainwashing not just on enemy combatants, but on their own people. Why else would so many countries be embracing such an obviously backward ideology? American freedom of the mind versus Soviet mind control became a dividing line as stark as the Iron Curtain itself. MK Ultra, three days after his speech decrying Soviet tactics, Duels approved the beginning of the MK Ultra program, a top secret CIA program for covert use of biological and chemical materials. American values made for good rhetoric, but Duels had a far grander plan for the agency's Cold War agenda. MKUltra's mind control experiments generally centered around behavior modification via electroshock therapy, hypnosis, polygrams, radiation, and a variety of drugs, including LSD and acid, toxins, and chemicals. These experiments relied on a range of test subjects, some who freely volunteered, some who volunteered under coercion, and some who had absolutely no idea they were involved in a sweeping defense research program. From mentally impaired boys at a state school, to American soldiers, to sexual psychopaths at a state hospital, MK Ultra's programs 
often preyed on the most vulnerable members of society. The CIA considered prisoners especially good subjects, as they were willing to give consent in exchange for an extra recreation time or commuted sentences. Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange is a perfect example of this type of coercion and mind control. Whitley Bulger, a former organized crime boss, wrote of his experience as an inmate test subject in MKUltra. Eight convicts in a panic and paranoid state. Bulger said in the 1957 tests at the Atlanta Penitentiary, there he was, where he was, serving time, total loss of appetite, hallucinating. The room would change shape, hours of paranoia and feeling violent. We experienced horrible periods of living nightmares and even blood coming out of the walls. Guys turning into skeletons in front of us. I saw a camera change into the head of a dog. I felt like I was going insane. Bulger claimed he had been injected with LSD or acid. Had be- it had become one of the CIA's key interests for its brainwashing warfare. The program, as the agency theorized, it could be useful in interrogations. In the late 1940s, the CIA received reports that the Soviet Union had engaged in intensive efforts to produce LSD and that the Soviets had attempted to purchase the world supply of this chemical. One CIA officer described the agency as literally terrifying, totally terrified of the Soviets' LSD program, largely because of the lack of knowledge about the drug in the United States. This was the one material that we had never been able to locate that really had potential, fantastic possibilities. It used, if used wrongly, the officer testified with the advent of MKUltra, the government's interest in LSD shifted from a defense to an offense orientation. Agency officials noted that LSD could be potentially hurtful or useful in gaining control of bodies, whether they were willing or not. The CIA envisioned applications that ranged from removing people from Europe in case of a Soviet attack to enabling assassinations of enemy leaders. On November 18, 1953, a group of 10 scientists met at a cabin located deep in the forests of Maryland. After extended discussions, the participants agreed that to truly understand the value of this drug, an unwitting experiment would be most desirable. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. If you're scratching your head and asking what the hollow earth is, then I'm here to answer all the the burning questions for you, as well as explaining how it's connected to the monster verse itself. Now, for starters, what is the hollow earth? Well, <clears throat> what is the hollow earth? The answer is in the name. The hollow earth theory uh, posits just that. The earth is entirely hollow, and in most versions of the legend, there are people or creatures living within it. This can vary depending on the theory or story, but hollow earth tales 
generally feature an entire subterranean culture and community miles underneath the surface of our home planet. And it's not just fictional, though. There are people who claim our true Earth is hollow as well. Some of those proponents even claim that there is a secondary sun within our planet, fueling those who live within the hollow Earth. While it might seem utterly wild, it has a theory at times been supported by famed scientists like Edmund Halley, Halley's Comet, who potentially came up with the idea, while also becoming a staple of science fiction storytelling, as well as a popular conspiracy theory. Uh, I'm sure it's commonly used by flat earthers and those who wear tinfoil helmets, unfortunately. How does the Hollow Earth play into the current MonsterVerse? And, well, the theory was first introduced to the MonsterVerse in the movie Kong Skull Island. Scientist uh, Houston Brooks, which was played by Corey Hawkins, is a believer in the theory and writes a paper claiming that it is scientifically accurate rather than a fringe belief that has long been disproven. It's this paper that sees him recruited to Monarch. His paper turns out to be true and Skull Island is revealed to be almost entirely hollow. This makes it a direct link to the hollow earth, as that's where the subterranean tunnels lead. And surprising, no one, not the creatures that live there, the skull crawlers, are utterly terrifying. But in worse news, for the world, Houston and Bill Aranda, John Goodman, believe there were many, many more of these hollow earth entryways across the world that they had yet to be discovered. That was proven to be true during Godzilla King of Monsters, which came out before Kong vs. Godzilla. While much of the story focused on the many titans doing battle, we learned a little more about the Hollow Earth and how it works in the MonsterVerse. Not only was it confirmed that Godzilla was using subterranean tunnels to swim across the globe, but we also got a glimpse of what seemed to be a now decimated Hollow Earth community. While Godzilla is healing, we see an Atlantis-inspired landscape that hints that at one time, Humanoid creatures lived in the Hollow Earth alongside the massive Titans, who were potentially born and definitely worshipped by the extinct culture. The film also featured skull crawlers leaving their subterranean nests on Skull Island when they were called by the Titan Jidora, which confirmed the Titans can communicate with each other using the Hollow Earth network, hinting at bigger threats to come for humanity in the future. What does it mean for Godzilla vs. Kong? Well, from the trailers, interviews with the filmmakers, and me after watching the current film, it looks like Godzilla vs. Kong will be expanding on this lore. There are multiple moments, I swear I won't do any spoilers here for you, we've seen so far that hint at an origin story for Kong that's centered around the Hollow Earth. How do we know that? Well, whenever we see young Kong, he seems to be in a jungle. But instead of sky, there's nothing but craggy rock, hinting that he is in fact inside the hollow earth. Answering the question of where the titans come from has long been at the heart of the monsterverse and the hollow earth, which would offer up an easy answer. If the creatures originated from there, then you can ask why they left. Could it be there's a greater threat living under the th crust of our earth? A mega-titan that drove even Kong and Godzilla from their homes? Uh, we'll have to check out the Monster Mash movie, which is now out in theaters and on HBO Max. Now playing one of the biggest
biggest podcasts of the week on the free iHeartRadio app. Now, number one for podcasting. My niece, Lisa, passed away at 13 months old. She was two months older than my daughter. When my daughter was about three, we were looking through pictures and she pointed to my niece's picture and said, that's my friend, baby Lisa. She plays with me in the sandbox and she lives far, far away. This was sent to me from at J-E-A-M-A-R-914. The man in the hallway. This was sent to me from Melissa Gillette. My five-year-old grandson just nonchalantly asked me why the man in the hallway is watching us. For the record, I live alone. Ghostly Grandma. This was sent to me from former GOP mom. My mom died five years before my kids were born. But when they were old enough to talk, they told me how she sat on their bed at night and told them stories of me as a child and her nickname for me. Everything she said was true. Premonitions. This was sent to me from Haley, H-A-Y-L-E-Y, underscore Dr. P-H. My mother tells me that when I was four, I came into the kitchen and told her that her uncle was dead and that he had said goodbye. She was upset and told me not to say such things. Moments later, the phone rang and the person calling told her that her uncle had just died. Aunt Peg. This was from... Dr. Conway, when my son was about two, we were napping on the second floor of our small row home in Philadelphia. All of a sudden, he pointed at the window and said, hi, Aunt Peg. A few minutes later, the phone rang and we found out that my husband's Aunt Peg had just passed. I'll never forget it. No jumping on the bed. This was sent to me from at say underscore i underscore do my dad passed in 1987 my daughter was born in 1993 at one and a half she was jumping on my mom's bed my mom and i were singing the monkey song then baby girl stopped sat down on the bed granddaddy said no jumping on the bed my dad never let us jump on the bed when we were kids gettysburg expert from Lorraine Leon. When my son was five, we took a trip to Gettysburg. He kept correcting the tour guide. I asked him how he knew this information. He said the man in the uniform was telling him this. My son's information was correct. In fact, it was more precise than the tour guide's information. Imaginary friend named Eddie. This was sent to me from I am Karen at K-A-R-E-N-H-7463. My friend told me a story of the five-year-old whose family moved into my childhood home. He had an imaginary friend named Eddie, who was three. I have a great uncle who died in that home, who was three at the time of his death. His name was Edward. I used to watch you and mommy. This is from Doug and Judy. My six-year-old does this often. She told my wife and I at dinner, one night I used to watch over you and mommy when you were little. Another time she told us she met her brother 
who had died five years before she was born. Laughing and Smiling and Waving from Lady Diane, 2017. My terminally ill husband passed away in our bedroom. About five years later, at the age of 18 months, my grandson sat on my bed. All of a sudden, he started laughing and smiling and waving to the area where the hospital bed had been. That area was empty. Grandma says, bye. This is from DKB1355. My nephew was three. I walked into the room and he was in a conversation. I asked who he was talking to. He said, Grandma. He told me very specific details and things about Grandma. He said, Grandma says bye. I said, Grandma left? He said, Grandma said you wouldn't believe I was talking to her because you're not a kid. Farmer in a past life. My nephew at age five told us he was once a farmer with three kids who lived in a town in Wisconsin. He said he missed the kids. He never forgot it. We never forgot it, but he did. The clencher, the town he named, exists. Not a common name either. This was from at I am Kane 3. Sweet grandfather. This is from at Medic Tromasher. I was 15 when my grandfather passed. My parents were at the hospital and I was at home asleep. I heard my grandfather call my name and he was in my bedroom. He put the stuffed dog he won for me on my bed and said, see ya, my girl. Grandpa's cologne. This is from Sabrina Zombie. Right after my oldest was born, I walked into the nursery. He and the nursery smelled like my father's cologne. My dad died 10 months before he was born. My son has smelled like that cologne after as well on many occasions. Now he wears it. He took a liking to it. Bump. This was sent to me from Katie Wells. My now adult son had multiple imaginary friends. One was named Bump. One day when I was in the shower, he shouted into the bathroom, Mommy, Bump watches you when you are in the shower. The Bulldog Knows. This was sent to me from Ava Roby. My one-and-a-half-year-old bulldog lays on my bed and will talk to my husband, who died. Bulldogs are talkers, lots of noises in his chair, and she'll pause like she's listening, and more talk. He died in 2018. I got her in the fall of 2019. She tosses a ball to the chair. Her other mother. This was sent to me from Sassy Kadic. My youngest went on about her other mother from age two to five. The stories she told still haunt me to this day. The last time I was there, this was sent to me from Candy DeLong. When my daughter was around three, she told me the last time I was here, I was a boy. Very calmly and dug into some French toast. 30 years later, I'm still stunned. True story. Please hold for an important word from our sponsor. My name is Neil Parks. I was born in 1975. I'm Generation X, 
and was a Generation X child raised during the Satanic Panic era where both Republicans and Democrats worked tirelessly to ban heavy metal music, rap music, certain board games, certain books, Dungeons and Dragons, the TV show Murphy Brown because she had a child out of wedlock, comic books, MTV for sex, drugs, and rock and roll, PBS for deflowering family values with their socialist programming, and Ellen for opening up on her show about being gay. Now, these are the same lunatics who believed that playing a hard rock record backwards would lead you to either smoke dope, kill your parents, drink blood, do gay stuff, sacrifice animals, and the list goes on. I was raised during the time of parental advisory stickers as they were being slapped on everything from music to movies and video games. We were told that if gays were in our military, that they would either rape all straight men or turn straight men gay. I was also warned that gays shouldn't be allowed to adopt children because they could molest them. There were stories fed to me about satanic nurses working in nursing homes and children's hospitals, and they would murder patients in the name of Satan. Let us not forget about the serial killer AIDS victims who were allegedly placing hypodermic needles under gas pump handles, movie theater seats, and phone booths as a way to infect everyone. I was told that Procter & Gamble was funneling money to the Satanic Church and that we wouldn't buy their products because it supported Satan. I remember the youth group outings, meetings, and church camps where youth leaders would try to convince me to bring in my secular music so we could toss it into a bonfire like a bunch of book-burning Nazis. I was conditioned and manipulated for decades thanks to the 700 Club, Rush Limbaugh, Focus on the Family, and many other ultra-conservative mouthpieces. I've seen it all, heard it all, read it all, and now I'm seeing the exact same cycle begin again. Now the same boomers who censored, controlled, lied about, and manipulated every aspect of my formative years expect me and my generation of Xers to rise up and stand with them against relabeling Mr. Potato Head, the editing of certain Dr. Seuss books, certain types of music that is now deemed inappropriate, certain movies, TV shows, cartoons, video games, etc., and control the status quo for younger generations and the sanctity of the First Amendment? You've got to be out of your damn minds. You people created this trend. You are the masters of this movement, and you expect me to call it out? The things that are being changed now and altered now and improved upon are for the betterment of our society. You can kiss my ass and ride off into the sunset atop the raggedy ass horse you rode in on, you self-righteous hypocrites. Don't you dare play the victim card in this situation after victimizing so many of us for more than half a century. Ask now playing one of the biggest podcasts of the week on the free iHeartRadio app. Now number one for podcasting. A Japanese cult that believes its leader is an alien from Venus was speaking at CPAC last week. The lineup of the Conservative Political Action Conference last week included political heavyweights like former President Donald J. Trump, Cancun-loving Senator Ted Cruz, and former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. It also included the political head of a Japanese religious cult, 
that promotes nationalism, xenophobia, and the belief that its leader is the reincarnation of an alien from Venus who created life on Earth millions of years ago. Last Friday afternoon at the Hyatt Regency Orlando, he was a prominent conservative Japanese speaker and addressed CPAC about the threat China poses to the U.S., taking a prime spot on the lineup just after Donald Trump Jr. Now, this speaker is no stranger to CPAC. In fact, 2021 marked the 10th anniversary of his first visit to the Republican Love Fest. His speaker bio includes notes that he is the chairman of the Japanese Conservative Union, a right-wing political organization, and that he helped found CPAC Japan, which has been running for the last four years in Tokyo. What isn't mentioned is the central role he plays in a Japanese cult called Happy Science, whose leader believes that he is the Messiah and sells miracle cures for COVID-19. Happy Science is a Japanese cult run by a man who claims to be the incarnation of multiple gods while pretending to channel the psychic spirits and energy of anyone from Bashar al-Assad to Natalie Portman. Sarah Hightower, a researcher and expert in Japanese cults, relayed this to the news. While he has been a prominent member of the Happy Science cult from the beginning, he has worked over the past decade on building close ties with prominent U.S. conservative figures and creating Japan's Happiness Realization Party, HRP, the cult's political wing that focuses on unilateralism, ultra-rationalism, and increasing Japan's population by making child rearing easier for Japanese women. In the 12 years since it was formed, the HRP has failed to get a single candidate elected to Japan's parliament. But in recent years, under his leadership, the group has gained more political legitimacy back home by aligning itself with right-wing U.S. figures like Steve Bannon and Matt Schaup. By giving him this platform, CPAC and the Republican Party showing once again that it is willing to accept and embrace dangerous fringe movements like QAnon and the Falun Gong-backed Epoch Times, a pro-Trump newspaper that spreads disinformation has become a firm favorite of the MAGA world. This final tale of crazy-ass jungle adventures. This one really struck a nerve with me as I was reading it. Um, I had to ask myself, is it actually in first-person experience or was it told in second-person narrative? So I'm just going to relay it as it was told to me. My name is Enrique, and I am from Peru. I am a military man by profession, and as such, I often travel to some of the most exotic and remote regions in my country. Five years ago, I had probably one of the most terrifying experiences of my life. Although it only lasted a few minutes, it felt like an eternity. A group of us from the Peruvian army were sent to conduct training exercises in the Department of the Amazons, which is in the north of the country and the border with Ecuador. The region is quite isolated and most of it is covered by rainforest. Our army barracks was located in a place called Mesones Moro. Part of our duties was to train the local recruits and the techniques of jungle warfare. Some of the men in the group were from a race of indigenous people who live in the rainforest. They call themselves Aguarunas. 
It was just after midnight when we came to a clearing and decided to make camp. Everything was dark and green. The moonlight couldn't penetrate the thick canopy of trees in the jungle. We were close to a single dirt road that was lined with stones. The night had progressed without incident, and there was no reason to think anything unusual would happen. But in the next few minutes, all of that would change completely. We sat watching the endless stretch of deserted road as the Aguarnos pitched the tents. The jungle is hot and humid, even at night, and sweat was trickling down my face. As I sat mopping my brow, I suddenly felt an icy wind, and at that moment it felt so cold that I began looking for somewhere to take shelter. It was so unusual that some of the men thought it might be a signal that a heavy rain was approaching. Sometimes the torrential rainfall is accompanied by cold winds. However, this was like the cold of winter all of a sudden. The kind of cold you feel take hold of your body right down to the bones. The Aguiar and us abruptly stopped what they were doing and began whispering to each other in their own language. We couldn't understand what they were saying, but by the looks of their faces, they were terrified. When I asked them what was happening, I was shocked by their responses. One of them looked at me wide-eyed and hissed, approaching evil. Another tried to explain something or someone wanted to hurt us. All of a sudden, we heard a high-pitched whistling sound. It was echoing through the jungle. The Aguarnos suddenly blessed themselves, making the sign of the cross, and covered their ears. There is no sound, said one. His voice was shaking. I can hear nothing, cried another. One of my colleagues, a man named Raymond, turned to me with a puzzled expression. What's that whistling sound, he asked. No, shouted one of the Aguarnas. There is no silence. There is only silence, no sound. You can't hear that, asked Ramon. It's a high-pitched whistling sound like few, 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 few. In that moment, I couldn't tell what was going on, but I believe that the native peoples know things that most of us have forgotten. Seeing the frightened looks on their faces, I decided that it would be smart to do whatever they were doing, if only for the sake of superstition. I made the sign of the cross, then covered my ears and said loudly to my colleague, like they say, there is no sound. Have you all gone crazy? He said in disbelief. I can hear it with my own ears. Just then, there was a tremendous crash, as if several trees were splitting apart. What we saw in that split second was the most horrible thing I had ever laid eyes on. In my profession, I have seen some horrible things. I have seen people maimed. I've seen people die, but what I experienced that day was the scariest thing I had ever witnessed in my life. A black shape emerged from the jungle. It swooped down over us, and before anybody had a chance to react, it was gone. In an instant, it disappeared back into the jungle, and I was left crouching there, unsure if what I had seen was real or I had imagined it. No one moved, no one spoke a word. The silence was broken by one of the Aguarnas screaming, It took him! Looking to my left, I realized that Ramon was nowhere to be seen. And the place where he had been standing was seconds before. There was nothing but dark green vegetation and a pair of empty boots. As a consequence of this apparition, two of my soldiers were hospitalized in a medical center nearby. The doctors said they were suffering from mental illness. According to the Aguarnos, 
When this thing came out of the jungle and took Raymond, it also snatched their souls personally. I cannot explain what happened to them. Something turned them from brave soldiers into shaking hollow shells. I asked the Aguarnos what we had encountered that night. None of them would say it out loud, but one wrote it down on a piece of paper and handed it to me. He had scrolled El Tunchi. It means the whistling sound. I believe that good and evil really exist. And that night, I felt that we had experienced pure, unadulterated evil. However, that is not how my story ends. The Peruvian army launched an investigation into Ramon's disappearance. They listened to the testimony of the Iguanos, then dismissed them as little more than superstitious natives. When I tried to tell what I had seen, they were not convinced. I was interrogated for hours during which they accused me of being delusional and asked if we had all been on drugs and suffered hallucinations. About a week later, I was back in the jungle, leading a patrol that consisted of several Aguanos and two other enlisted men. We were much deeper in the jungle than we had ever been before. When we came to a clearing, I heard one of the Aguanos suddenly cry out. He was pointing up into the trees. It was Ramon. His body had been strung up in the highest branches. It was a grisly sight. His body was sliced open from his neck to his waist. His guts were hanging out, and his intestines were draped across the branches. His legs were nothing but bones. Then we heard his voice begging and pleading for us to cut him down. I took a few steps forward, and one of the iguanos pulled out his hand and stopped me. It's not your friend anymore, he warned sternly. Look at him. How is he still alive? Be careful, warned another. It's a trick. In this way, it tries to lure us. Sure enough, when I strained my eyes to see, I realized that his mouth wasn't moving. He was obviously dead, and yet the begging and pleading continued. Another of the Aguarnos took aim and fired at Raymond's head. The bullet struck him right between the eyes. His head slumped to the right, and the cries for help ceased abruptly. When we got back from patrol that day, none of us said a word about it to our commanding officers. They would not have believed us anyway. There was an investigation at a property that I took place in several years ago, um, assisting with another paranormal research group that was familiar with the area, and they wanted to get my take on the situation and my expert opinion. Uh, apparently, this property was being haunted, and um, the people that owned the property were being tortured spiritually by a half-man, half-dog-head creature. It looked like an animal, but it had a human torso, uh, hind legs, but the front arms of this beast were the arms of, like, a giant dog. And it would contort... It would twist itself around. It would climb up the wall and up and down the stairs backwards with its head twisted around to always stay focused on you. And it was the head of a demented-looking dog. Uh, it was definitely a non-human spirit that took the form of half-man, half-animal. And Stories like this are common in Native American mythology, Native American religion, uh, stories of shape-shifting 
animal humanoid creatures, uh, usually attributed to demonic manifestation. And this was not a kind spirit. It was not a pure spirit. It was a dark, evil, tainted, angry spirit that took a mutated form. And that was something you could definitely attribute to an animal spirit. And that was a first-person account, first uh, hand account of something I myself witnessed uh, seeing this thing appear in shadows and in flashes upon entry it, it was unsettling it was probably one of the most spiritually confined situations I had ever put myself in it was one that I dare not repeat uh, on a lighter note an encounter that me and my entire family had with uh spirit animal the long lost soul of a of a pet not a long lost soul the soul was in dog heaven but the pet was long lost uh, we still thought of her often she died several months before christmas but when we were looking back at family photos and this was when you would use instant cameras to take photographs you know before digital photography and 6 to 12 megapixel and however many terabytes an image requires uh, things were very different 15 16 years ago almost 20 years ago when our beloved pet lady passed away and pictures that were taken on christmas morning clearly show a an orb of some sort in the form of a dog on the couch sitting next to my wife's at the time 90 year old grandmother and my mother-in-law was sitting on the floor holding a new gift that my nephew, Stephen, had received. It was a snowsuit. And as she was holding it up above him to show in the image that this is what he had received after he opened the gift, there was a strange light apparition that appeared over both my nephew and mother-in-law that looked almost like the description of what a gown from an angel would look like. So not only did we capture the spirit of our long-lost pet and the dog's very soul, but also possibly an angel watching over. Maybe the angel's what brought Lady to us for that Christmas. Or what appeared above my mother-in-law could just have been an issue with development and too much light coming in. Anywho, that was a fun story I wanted to share with you. And now, please hold for a word from our sponsor. Now playing one of the biggest podcasts of the week on the free iHeartRadio app. Now number one for podcasting. Here's a closer look at the crop formation mystery. Crop circles are strange patterns that appear mysteriously overnight in farmers' fields. They provoke puzzlement, delight, and intrigue among the press and public alike. These patterns are mostly found in the United Kingdom throughout history, but have managed to spread to dozens of countries around the world through the past decades, including the United States. The mystery has inspired countless books, blogs, fan groups, researchers, which are dubbed serialologists, that's me, and even Hollywood films like Signs. Despite having been studied for decades, the question remains, who or what is making them and why? Early crop circles. 
Many people believe that crop circles have been reported for centuries, a claim repeated in many books and websites devoted to this mystery. Their primary piece of evidence is a woodcut from 1678 that appears to show a field of oat stalks laid out in a circle. Some take this to be the first-hand eyewitness account of a crop circle, not necessarily a formation, but a little historical investigation will show otherwise. The woodcut actually illustrates what in folklore is called a mowing devil, legend in which an English farmer told a worker with whom he was feuding with that he would rather pay the devil himself to cut his oat field than to pay the fee demanded. The source of the harvesting is not unknown or mysterious. It is indeed Satan himself who, complete with the signature horns and a tail, can be seen in this woodcut design holding a sickle. Some claim that the first crop circles, though they were not called that at the time, appeared near the small town of Tolly, Australia in 1966. A farmer said he saw a flying saucer rise up from a swampy area and fly away. Then he went to investigate and saw a roughly circular area of debris and apparently flattened reeds and grass, which he assumed had been made by the alien spacecraft from where it had landed but which police investigators said was likely caused by a natural phenomena such as a dust devil or water spout. Referred in the press as flying saucer nests, the story is more a UFO report than a crop circle report. As in the 1678 mowing devil legend, the case for it being linked to crop circles is especially weak, when we consider that the impression of or formation was not made in a crop of any kind, but instead just ordinary grass. A round impression in a lawn or grassy area is not necessarily mysterious, as anyone with a kiddie pool in the backyard should know. Indeed, mysterious circles have appeared in grass throughout the world that are sometimes attributed to fairies, but instead caused by disease. So, scientifically validated with a simple explanation. Modern crop circles, in fact, the first real crop circles, didn't appear until the 1970s, when simple circles began appearing in the English countryside. The number and complexity of the circles increased dramatically, reaching a peak in the 1980s and 1990s, when increasingly elaborate circles were produced, including those illustrating complex mathematical equations, which is crop formations, not necessarily circles. The difference is a circle can be easily disputed because I've seen where hoaxers will take a two by four and somehow fashion a rope to their hand and step, slide, step, slide, create a non-perfect cylindrical circle pattern. And it's not a perfect 360 degrees, but close enough. But you can clearly tell because when it's man-made, the crop itself is bent or snapped over. Now, when it's a crop formation attributed to a UFO encounter, alien phenomenon, whatever you want to refer to it as, the affected crop that is a part of the formation that is often linked to an eccentric mathematical equation, something that is purely enigmatic, as to why it would appear in crops is beyond me, but it's some sort of a telltale sign. They're trying to communicate with us for some reason. Someone is. 
So when they do this, whatever produces this formation, uses a heat source because you can see in the crop, it's swollen and engorged at this point because it's been exposed to a high-level heat source. Therefore, it slumps over, much like a dry spaghetti noodle when introduced to hot boiling water will engorge and become floppy. Same happens to the crop when it's exposed to a high-level heat source. Whatever's producing that, it's open to interpretation. But like I said, the regular old crop circles are nothing more than man-made, nine times out of ten, when it's just a silly circle. I have encountered myself crop formations that are in excess of 300 feet in diameter. And in order to... <laughs> Get the design the way it's set up. You would either have to be a giant using a blowtorch to create a pattern such as this or have some sort of eyes in the sky telling you where to position the crop if it is man-made. And this is something way more complex than a bunch of drunk hillbillies driving around in a four-wheeler and creating patterns. Uh, there is something otherworldly to these Formations, Unlike other mysterious, mysterious phenomenon such as psychic powers, ghosts, or Bigfoot, there is no doubt that crop formations are real. The evidence that they exist is clear and very overwhelming. The real question is, instead, what creates them? And there are ways to investigate that question. You can look at internal and external evidence to evaluate crop formations. The internal information includes the content and meaning of the design. Is there anything that indicates that any information contained in the message is of extraterrestrial origin? Why mathematical equations and extremely elaborate geometric patterns? And then you have external information, including the physical construction of the crop formation itself. Is there anything that indicates that the design was created by anything other than humans? Please hold for an important message from our sponsor. Now playing one of the biggest podcasts of the week on the free iHeartRadio app. Now number one for podcasting. Well, there's, of course, uh, the Buxton Inn. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of that. And where's that exactly? Uh, that is in Granville. Okay, Granville. Uh, right. That's I think it's, what, like 40 minutes from here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 40 minutes east. Uh, that is a really interesting location. Uh, I was invited to, like, uh, my wife and I were invited. She's like the scully to my molder. Uh, oh, okay, so you guys do this together. All yeah, right, so do. Randy and I know about that. We do. Uh, she kind of ropes me in and keeps me from chasing the moon and werewolves. <laughs> and we were invited to, like, this murder mystery type dinner, get to know each all the X-Files. Nice. And we... <laughs> We were invited as, like, the guests of honor. They wanted me to tell some stories and read some excerpts from my book. Sure. And a lot of the people that were a part of it, it was like the movie Dinner for Schmucks. It was it was pretty funny. Oh, look at this place. This is yeah. nice. Yeah, it was, it was quite, yeah, it is a very nice location. Uh, the bar downstairs is like a dungeon. Mm. And I wonder if they used to keep people during the Renaissance era in that location. But since this land was not um, anything beyond uh, the New World before the... Renaissance era, I doubt that that was ever a, a dungeon of torture, but it, it does look pretty creepy, and in fact, a lot of weird things happen in that bar. Glasses are known to fly across the room. A lot of girls, when they go to change uh, certain containers for the drinks and whatnot, or change the keg, uh, they'll feel someone push or grab on them. 
Uh, I myself did not experience anything in the bar. I did get a sense of something moving around that wasn't physical, but what I experienced more was in the ballroom area where they have a lot of wedding receptions and uh, graduation dinners. Sure. There is said to be a ghost cat that runs around. Oh, ghost cat. Ghost cat. Do you have to do ghost litter? Ghost litter, yes. (laughs) Ghost poops. Yeah, ghost poops. What if it's like the worst part of a ghost cat It still smelled like a cat? And you're like, I don't even get to see this son of a bitch. Like, what? (laughs) Smell it. It's just a cat. So uh, you kind of want to set a can of nine lives out for it to see what happens. But we're sitting in in one of the tables, and I notice uh, one of the table drapes that goes over the tabletop cloths. It's brushing almost like someone's rubbing their foot against it. And I pick it up to look under to see who's doing that because it's just my wife and I sitting here at this table. And I, I kid you not, I kit, kitten you not, this, this cat, uh, was under the table and all the doors were closed. No one could get in or out at this point. And it's just us, just physical people. And this cat, this solid white cat is under the table. It hisses at me just like that sound and then takes off. But it takes off to where? Because as soon as it disappears from our sight, it's just, it's gone. It was a cat. Available to order now. My first audio book. Neil Parks presents Truly Terrifying Tales, narrated by me. It's ready to order and download on Bandcamp.com. My other books, of course, are always available to order on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Lulu.com. You can also order t-shirts that I designed that I normally sell at conventions, festivals, lectures, and my book signings. I always have the 9-inch tall 3D printed Bigfoot silhouettes available And last spring, my first children's book was released. It was written by my good friend and fellow author, R.L. Walker. I illustrated this book, and it was a major shift in gears for me, considering that my writing and art style has always been dark and scary. To order any of what I just mentioned, you can also go to my email, which is parksparanormal at gmail.com. That is parksparanormal at gmail.com. Standing by.